0: Thank you so much. You know, let's, let's pray together. Can you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we bow before you this morning. And we are grateful that we get to come into your presence. And we just want to say to you that we, we, we look to you. We expect you to move. We expect you to speak to us, to lead us. Thank you for the gift of your word. And, Lord, today, may, you, may your spirit move in this place. God, we love you. And we're grateful that we get to gather together today. And we just want to say right now, Lord, thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, it's good to kind of get back to some sort of normalcy, uh, whatever that is. It's, even though it's a little different, uh, it's still good. And, and you know... Um, I think it's important for us today to, to kind of begin that habit of relearning how to gather. You know, um, it's been like five months since we've been with groups. And, and, and it's really important for us to recognize that our, our small groups and our, um, when we get together in person, that, that, that that's what we're called to do. You know, like it's, it's, I know we can, and I'm so glad those of you that are online watching us, and, and we, we've learned that we still can connect online. Um, but as, as we think about our call as believers, the, the physical touch is a need for all of us. The physical meeting is, is important for all of us. And, and, and I've, I guess I've always heard that it takes uh, 28 days to start a habit, right? And, uh, and I've had some people say, man, Chris, I love, I love coming to church in my pajamas. Uh, I don't even have to brush my teeth. Well, the good thing, when you wear a mask, you don't have to brush your teeth anyway because you, you're the only one smelling your breath, so that's good. Um, but, uh, but, but you probably ought to brush your teeth, even if you stay at home. If you're at home, I hope you brush your teeth. That's yeah, probably a good habit. My mom was a dental hygienist. She beat that in me. Um, but, uh, but I'll tell you, we need, to, we need the touch we need the, the gathering together. And, and when I think about this pandemic, one of the things that it's highlighted is the need to, to be in physical proximity with one another. And, and so it's interesting, cause we're navigating all these voices and you have all these experts on the, on the news and on the internet and in our lives that, that are like, hey, you ought to do this. And, and it seems like these experts are always in disagreement that's right. Steve, I'm so glad you're here today. I love that, man. Um, but, but here's what I know. Though, though I don't know who, uh, which experts to believe, what I know is that God's word is always true. And like Psalm 119:105 says, your word's a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. And so it's good to come back, and, and, and we need to be around the Word of God. And I, and I guess that's this whole information age that we're in. One of the drawbacks is you have so much information, and it's, it's just numbing to us. But we can trust what we're going to do today, and that's gather around the Word of God. And so Matthew 16 is—I is, hope you stay there, and I hope you're there, because this is, a, this is like a big moment in the life of the church, uh, it's, it's, and, and when you think about it, verse 13, check out verse 13. It says this. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi. Now, I've been there. A couple years ago, we, we went on a trip to Israel with, our, with a bunch of our folks, and, and, and we're going to go back uh, to Israel. We've canceled our trip at this point. We don't know when, but when the world opens up, we're going to go back. And that ought to be a bucket list for you um, because we stood at Caesarea Philippi, and, and I'll be honest, that was probably one of my favorite places to be in Israel uh, because it's such a significant piece of ground now, Caesarea Philippi, is a, it's, it's in the northern part of Palestine. It's about uh, 30 miles from Tyre, 50 miles southwest of Damascus, if you just want to get a little geography. It's in this beautiful hill country right on the slopes of Mount Hermon. And, and it, it was probably pretty close to the place where the transfiguration took place. Uh, you remember that in uh, Matthew when, when Jesus was transfigured in front of their eyes? It's pretty close to that. But, but this was an ancient city. It's an old city. And uh and and through history we know about that city. It was a big center of worship for the pagan god Baal. Okay, now we, we in Samuel we encountered Baal. He was a uh the pagan god that the Philistines worshiped, and lots of drama with that. And and um, but but you know, through history at Caesarea Philippi, there was the worship of this pagan god named Pan. And um you know, we've had some babies born in our church in the in this covid experience and and the and the and the difficulty of this pagan god pan there there's this big cave. Uh this was like a temple. I took that picture, but there there's this big cave there. And um and at the pagan god pan, they would they would do child sacrifices in this cave. And it was this dark place. This this place where it was um like if you if you look at the, if you put on spiritual glasses and you're able to observe the spiritual world, you could imagine demons and, and principalities of evil just, that's like their hub of activity. And, um, and it's interesting that, that Jesus goes to Caesarea Philippi with his disciples. Now, the truth is, this is a small group, okay? They're, it's a retreat, if you will. And, um, and there's not a lot of people around, probably. Uh, they're, they're just going on this little theological retreat, I guess, with Jesus. And, and so there wasn't physically, like if you were like flying over in an airplane with uh, like watching Jesus, there wasn't like a physical fanfare in that moment. It was just Jesus and the twelve. But, but as I was standing there in Caesarea Philippi, and, and there's this picture I have of Addie and, and Brad right at the mouth of this, of this cave. And, and when I stood there, and I think I took that picture, and, and I was just thinking about the spiritual battle that took place there in that moment that Jesus was with his disciples. Because I don't understand the full uh, depth of the spiritual battle but, but I, I know that, I can imagine that in this moment in Matthew 16, that if we were to put on spiritual glasses and watch that scene unfold, that it was a cataclysmic uh, moment in the spiritual realm. Because Jesus is, is making this announcement. And, and I think it's fascinating, that cave, that was known through history as the gates of hell. And when you think about the, the spiritual battle that was going on to be in a place on a piece of ground that is by reputation, the gates of hell are there. And then Jesus, how cool is it that Jesus says, huh, I think I'm gonna announce that my church is coming. I think I'm gonna go to the gates of hell and make it known. And I love that. To me, it's like Jesus is taking Satan and just saying, I want you to put your head right there. And then he's going to go, okay, right there. And then smack. I mean, just uppercut on the jaw. You know, and that was the moment. That's Matthew 16, in my mind, I think. But, but, but I think in the, when, you, when you look at this, it's interesting as you think about this ground, this place, and, and what happened. And, and look at verse 13. Now, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, um, obviously in this moment in Jesus' life, he, he was aware of his popularity. He was growing in popularity. People were uh, like intrigued by Jesus, they they would say to him, "Man, Jesus, you teach as one with authority. Man, you you, you look at all these miracles you're doing. Oh my goodness, you you've got to come from God." The, the popularity of Jesus was growing at this time, and and it's interesting as as they they looked at Jesus, they they saw him as, "Man, you're an incredible force to be reckoned with," and obviously he was. He was God with skin on. But 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 the reality is this question. That, that, that Jesus says, poses. In verse 13, who do people say the son of man is? Well, the disciples are there and they go, well, look at verse 14. He says, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now, now this was not in, you know, Herod killed John the Baptist. Remember, he cut his head, had his head cut off. And Herod was terrified that that John the Baptist was going to come back to life. Okay, so there was a there were some that thought, man, I wonder if Jesus is really John the Baptist coming back to life. Um, others say they were Elijah. The prophecy that Elijah would come back to life. There's some people were looking at Jesus, going, man, this must be Elijah. He's coming back, and he's powerful, and oh, my goodness, this must be him. Others say Jeremiah. Jeremiah, you remember the weeping prophet? He was the one that, that, that gave just warnings to Israel and, and God's people. They said, man, this may be Jeremiah, or, or maybe just one of the prophets that, that we're seeing. But, and it's interesting, as you think about all of these names, that the reputation of Jesus, all the disciples were saying, well, here's what everybody's saying about you. And these were all good, good names. These, this was a good reputation. You know, all of these, according to Jews, they were like, man, these were awesome people through history. <clears throat> you know, it's, it's kind of like what today. It's interesting. As I talk to unbelievers in my life, um, most of the unbelievers in my life would say, man, I think Jesus is great. He was a good teacher. He was a, you ought to follow his teachings. But some of those people that make that argument that don't really believe in him, it makes me wonder: Do you really know what he taught? Because when you think about what Jesus taught, he taught that he was God in the flesh. And so when you think about that, most of those unbelievers go, "Yeah, that sounds kind of crazy for someone to go think they're God walking around with they're God." But but for the most people, even in an unbelieving world, you know they would say um, they that Jesus is all right with me. Like that song? I won't sing it. Uh, Jesus is just all right with me. Um, but uh, I was reading, and uh, there's a book I like to read called God in the Dock by C.S. Lewis. And in chapter 19, he makes a really kind of comical statement. He said this, this question that, because so many people in the world go, what are you going to do with Jesus? And that's a, that's a good question to ask, but, but, but it's a little bit of, C.S. Lewis says it's a little bit of a comical question, because that's like, like when you say, when man says, what am I going to do with Jesus, that's kind of like a fly coming up to an elephant and go, what am I going to do with this elephant? Um, I mean, the real question should be, what is Jesus going to do with us? But, but it's interesting, as you look at people in the world, most have... Like, like they, they they misunderstand who Jesus really is, and that's why I think he makes that C.S. Lewis makes that argument in that chapter that really Jesus can only be uh, a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. And, and you know we've come to understand that he's Lord. And, and and then Jesus in Matthew sixteen fifteen asked this really big question. Look at it, Matthew fifteen, Matthew sixteen fifteen. Jesus looked at them and said, but, okay, they say I'm this, but who do you say that I am? That's a big question. I think, I would argue that may be the most important question in all the Bible, or maybe in all of history. Who do you say that I am? I mean, I would say even Islam, if you study Islam, even Islam says about Jesus, he's a good man. He's a prophet worthy of, of, of honor in Islam. They would, they, they would pray for his peace, peace upon Jesus in Islam. But when you get to the point that he was God in the flesh, they go, oh, time out. No, 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 he didn't rise from the dead. But, but a lost world, us, we have to wrestle with that question. Who do we say that he is? And, and, and verse, verse 15 is a big question that I don't want us to miss today, then Peter is one of, not my favorite disciple, my favorite disciple is John, because John was the disciple that never left, and, and for us, I want us to be a church that never leaves, never, never, does, never, never, never quits following the Lord, and, and so I pray that as a church of disciples of Christ, I pray that we're, we're like John, uh, you know, but I like Peter, Peter's a smart aleck. Peter's, Peter runs off at the mouth. Peter is often just saying what's on his mind. And, and so in this moment, he does, and he gets it right. This is one of those moments that Peter's personality comes out, and he gets it right. So Simon Peter replied, verse 16, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus says something incredible. Look at this. Look at verse 17. Jesus responded, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now, there's no way that Peter could have grasped, could have gotten hold of how big that statement was, that you're Christ, your Son of the living God. You know, he articulated this, this magnificent truth that in reality, it's continuing to change the world. That that truth, that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God is a truth that to this moment is at work in the world. It's changing people's lives. And, and Peter came to this understanding just like we've come to this understanding. And you and, and like John six forty four, it says that, that no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. So, so what you see in the life of Peter is that God was at work in his life, opening his eyes. And 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 right here, we recognize that that no one comes to this conclusion just in my in our own power. God has spoken to us. God has revealed Himself to us, and this is this is true for us. It's true for me. I remember at age, I was eight, and I have a in my office. I have a, a my baptism certificate in 1979 when I got baptized, and and but right before that, I'd gone to my mom. She was upstairs, and I was. Um, I was struggling in my life. I was wrestling with things that I'd heard at church because I went to one of these churches, South Lindsay Baptist Church. I'm grateful. We we saw people coming to Jesus and getting saved and 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 so I just always heard about, man, we need Jesus. We need to be saved. We need Christ in our life. And and that's that's something that I as an eight year old boy, I went upstairs in my, my house. I said, Mom, I something's wrong. Something's wrong with me. I I just don't know if I'm Uh, I think something's going on. Would I go to heaven? My mom took the Bible, opened up, and said, Chris, God's speaking to you. God's moving in you. And and as an 8-year-old boy, I got on my knees and said, Lord, I need you in my life. And he saved me right then. Now, I didn't know everything uh, that there was to know. I'm 49 right now. I still don't know everything there is to know. But I'll tell you, God spoke to me. God convinced me that I needed him and that he was Lord and, and, and he, he saved my life and he's been shaping my life ever since. And, and in this moment, you look at the disciples and, 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 and they're convinced at this moment. Peter's convinced. Jesus, you're the son of the living God. I'm convinced. Now, you, we know Peter's story. He struggled later, but, but you know what? That was a transformational moment. God spoke to his heart. And God, Jesus even said, Simon, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. This came from God. He was convinced because God convinced him. Well, here we are, the church. In this moment, Jesus is establishing the church. And it's all unfolding right before their eyes. And, And I can just imagine, though it was just the 12 listening, I can imagine the spiritual forces of evil going, oh, man. Peter knows now, Dead gum it. Peter knows. The disciples know. And you know what's interesting? Demons and spiritual forces, they know who Jesus is. Remember Acts, remember Acts 19? Remember that? That's when those seven sons of Sceva were running around, and, and they were like casting out demons in Jesus' name, and they went up to, to that demon-possessed man and said, hey, come out in Jesus' name. And that demon answered them and said, Jesus I know, and I've heard about Paul, but who are you? And then he beat them all up, and they ran out naked and bleeding. I hope I get to see the movie of that when I get to heaven, because um, that's funny. That's one of my favorite passages of scripture. But but you know what? The demons knew, and I can see those demons going, "Oh man, they know." And then they were convinced. Well, look at the church. We're convinced. The reason we can't stop gathering, the reason we gotta come together, the reason that that we're continuing to to work for the Lord in this community, because we're convinced. And guess what? Point number one is this. We are a convincing community. Not only are we convinced, we are called to be convincing. That we're called to this world to, like what does the Bible call us as the church? We are the light of the world. We're like a city that's on a hill that cannot be hidden. We're the body of Christ that is working together. We are an army deployed. We are, we are, it is our unity. Like John 17, 20 and 21 says, that it's by our unity, by our working together, that the lost world says, I know who Jesus is. So when I think about what God is doing here, we should always walk in this door with this attitude of expectation, this, this realization that, God, you are mobilizing us and moving us, and we are called to be a convincing community planted right here so that Owasso and Tulsa and, and, and the world, Oklahoma, United States, and the world believes in Jesus. That's what the church is. Here's the definition for a church. Let me give it to you. It's going to be on your screen. I think it's if, if you have your app, it's in your notes. But a local church is a local group of baptized believers. Some of you need to be baptized. And we're going to talk about that in the coming weeks. Some of you haven't been baptized yet. But a local church is a group of baptized believers who covenant together to meet in a specific place on the Lord's Day under the authority of the Bible, the leadership of elders for the purchase, purpose of worshiping and gospel ministry. That's a that's just a biblical definition of church. We'll leave it up there for a little bit so you can you can write it down. But but we're a church. And, and, and you know what? God has called us to gather together as we as we walk with. It. Let's think about that definition. We're a group of baptized believers, we're convinced. We are, we covenanted together. We're not a, we're not a business. We're a family. We're, We're a covenant people. We have covenanted together to, to, to meet. We're called to this place. We live here. This is where we're called to live. And we're called to this time. And we're, we meet on the Lord's day. We gather on the Lord's day. And we're under the authority of the Bible. This is why we get get into God's word because I'm not just gonna give you psychology or my best advice, I'll run out real quick. But we're under the authority of scripture, the the leadership of of called people here to you, to this place uh, for the purpose of worshiping God and for the purpose of gospel ministry to the world. We're a convincing community. We're also a gathering people. We're to gather. We're supposed to be gathering. And this is why I get the, the, the pandemic world that we're in. But, but let's not forsake gathering together every series. Uh, when we're going to be in this series, we're going to be in this series all the way through November 29th. And, and so this is a long series for us. And, and, um, and, and you know what? It's, it's going to be a, a series where I hope that we understand our history. It's just like our stained glass. Anybody recognize that stained glass? If you were here when we used to meet at El Tequila, did you know that our church used to be El Tequila? First Baptist of Wausau, El Tequila, I guess bought it, right, Sue? Um, but Sue knows, Sue Blackwood knows. Her husband was pastor here for 23 years. And uh, that was the stained glass that was in that was our old building. And I love it that we're using it through the series. And, and, you know, we're, we're going to keep it up forever now. But, but you know, it reminds us, it reminds me that, that, look, God was at work way before I got here. And by God, way before most of us got here. And God, if we do our job, God's going to continue to be at work well after we leave, right? But we got to gather together. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. I want you to write that verse down because we need to memorize that verse. And this is a verse throughout the series I pray we memorize because it says, let us consider how to stir one another up towards love and good deeds. The way I memorized it a long time ago is in the NIV. And it says, let us spur one another on towards love and good deeds. I like that idea of spurring. You know, sometimes, I I mean, I've never been spurred, thank the Lord, um, uh, with a spur, actually, but I've been spurred by God's people because I've been held accountable. I've been sharpened. He says, let us consider how to stir up one another towards love and good deeds. We need to stir one another up a little bit, especially in this season. Look, we can't be on our rears at home. We got to get going. We got work to do. The church is not shut down. The church is mobilized. Let's get after it. Let's stir one another up towards love and good deeds, not neglecting on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And this is why this series is so important for us. We've, some of us have been in the habit of not meeting together. But we should encourage one another all the more as we see the day drawing near. See that capitalized day? You know what that's talking about? The day that Jesus returns. Folks, there's gonna be a day that Jesus returns. And, and, you know, I laughed the other day. I, I think it was this week. I, I can't remember. But I was just got up one morning, and my phone beeped at me, and I looked at it. It said, weather alert, earthquake in North Carolina or somewhere. I was like, of course. Of course there is. You know, earthquakes in Oklahoma. What's the Bible say in the end times? There will be earthquakes in various places. You know, folks, let me tell you something. I don't know when Jesus is going to come back, but I'll sound real smart for you as a pastor. Um, we're closer today than we've ever been. Right. So, and so, so the reality is, I don't know when Jesus is going to come back, but all I know is right now, He hasn't yet, and we got work to do. We're a we're a people that are 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 called, I believe, as a church to to be a we've got to be convinced first of all, but then we're sent to a people to be convincing. This is why we got to walk with the Lord. That's why our walk has to match our talk. And, and look at verse 18. And in this moment that, that, that Jesus answers this, asks this question, who do you say that I am? And he says, oh, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he says, look at Peter, and I tell you, you are Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I can just feel the, if you put on spiritual glasses, I was standing in that spot going, how cool is this? That that Jesus goes there and I can imagine all the spiritual forces of evil listening in. He's like, yeah, I came to the gates of hell to let you know that I am gonna build my church. Peter, upon this rock, I'm gonna build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That, folks, was a cataclysmic moment in the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And that's what we're a part of. That's what this is. And we must not forget that. Now, now, when you think about the church, think about what he said. Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church. Let's understand that a minute. What does the Bible say? Peter, 1 Peter 1, uh, five, verse 5. It says, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by men and chosen by God, but precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's like five through seven, I think, or two through five. But, um, but what the Bible says, you and I, we are like living rocks. Now, now there's a lot of controversy of, on, first, on, on Matthew 16, 18. And I'll tell you, lots of things have taken place on this passage, okay? Lots of, lots of history has, has, has unfolded as a result of this passage. Because when you think about, there are five big views on this passage. Now, the first view is the Roman Catholic view that says, Peter is the rock that Jesus is building the church on. And that's where the papacy came—the Pope. Okay, the, the the Catholic doctrine says that you can trace the papacy, all the popes, all the way back to Peter as the very first Pope. And they take it from Roman, or excuse me, Matthew sixteen eighteen. That see Peter was the rock. Now uh, that's one view of that passage. Um, another view is that actually it's not Peter that's the rock, but it's Peter's confession is the rock. That he says, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Some say, No, it's not Peter, it's his confession. And that's a pretty big confession that, that you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. There's another view that, that Jesus is the rock. And, and that, that look, and, and this seems to be in concert with Peter's book, 1 Peter 5, 1 Peter 1. Um, you know, it seems as if Jesus is the rock. I mean, I would argue that Jesus is the head of this church, that Jesus is the rock that that we're standing on. Um, But a a fourth view is that revealed truth in general is the rock. It's the revealed truth that God had revealed his truth. That's the rock. And, you know, I can see that. Others will say, actually, it's not just Peter, but it's Peter and all the apostles. They're the rock, and they were the ones that started the church. And, and, you know, when you look at this, it's just interesting because I kind of see a little a little connection to all all of those. Because, you know, obviously Peter was a great leader. You can't deny that. You can't deny Peter's influence. Um, I think it's a little bit a misunderstanding to argue for the whole papacy thing, but you can't deny Peter's influence. Uh, Peter's confession is pretty big, that, hey, Jesus, you're... You're the son of the living God. That's that's critical. That's what drives us. We we would agree with that. Uh, Jesus, we would say, is the rock that, that that is. I would say the head of our church. So I could see that. Uh, uh, I would say revealed truth in general is pretty important. Math, the Sermon on the Mount, the end of the Sermon on the Mount. If you hear these words of mine, put them into practice. What you're standing on the rock. Um, Peter and the apostles. They were the guys. That were called to start the church, so there really is an interesting uh, complementary nature to all these. So, but let's not get hung up on it, on on all those details. Let's recognize that what Jesus is saying, He's starting the church, and the church began in that moment, and it was a cataclysmic moment. If you put on spiritual glasses, and it was a moment that proclaimed at the gates of hell, that the church will destroy you. And folks, that's what's going to happen. And what does he say? Verse 19, look at this. Jesus says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And you know, I'm not going to go like weird grammar on you, but, uh, uh, but, but when you look at the grammar of this, the, the future paraphrastic perfect, you probably all learned that in English class, right? Um, uh, brother McKean, you, you probably know that, but, um, uh, but, uh, but I'll tell you, Joe's dad's here. He's a great pastor and, uh, he's on vacation today and we're honored that you're here, my friend. And he's a great Greek scholar actually. So, um, and you could probably do a better job than me on the present, future, prepare for, I struggle saying it, but just trust me. Uh, that's what the grammar says. But, but basically what he's saying is that Jesus is describing this reality that God is sovereign. And he's basically saying it, it, what takes place on earth has already taken place in heaven. And that's one of those masterful sovereignty of God that you just go, cool. I'm just gonna let you have it, Lord, because that's big. But verse 19, he says, look, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. And he's like, you got work to do. Go get to work. You know what the disciples did? They got to work. And, and, and you know what? They, they, they walked with Jesus. And the church started in that moment. And those disciples, they heard that call and they experienced it. And they got this vision that we are sent to this world. And you know what, folks? The church is still sent to this world. And you know what I pray for us? Point three is so big for us. We are to be living sent. That you and I are to be living every day sent by God. And I don't want us to miss this, that that what the Bible says about the church, what he's doing here is that that Christ himself will build the church all through history. And I'm grateful that that Christ is going to build the church. And he's promised to be the one that is the builder of his kingdom. It's not up to us. It's up to him. And there's incredible confidence because God is at work in this city, in this world. The mission of Christ, though, understand this, it's accomplished through the church. That God has chosen us to be the the agents that he uses to accomplish his mission. Does that blow your mind or what? That you and I get to be a part of the mission of God in the world. I'll tell you, when I get to the end of my life, I don't want to just have stuff that I did. I, I want to get to the end of my life and be able to say, golly, I was a part of what God did. How cool is that, that that's our invitation? That's the church's invitation. The church is this incredible demonstration of God's power to the world. That This is what we're doing. It's through us that God's power is demonstrated through the world. This power of forgiveness, this power of hope this power of, of God putting our lives back together. I know the, the reputation of First Baptist churches in communities are, hey, you are a group of people. You guys, you guys act like you got it all together. Let me tell you something, but we don't have it all together. We are a people that God is putting back together. And I'll tell you, I've walked through this COVID thing and, and, I, and I'll tell you, it's been, it's been a challenge. It's been a challenge as a pastor from my seat. But, but here's what I keep recognizing. God, you're at work. And it's, it's through us that God demonstrates his power to the world. And God has shown me that over and over again through this journey. And here's the, here's the reality. We need to come back together, though. Because it's the church. The church is the necessary environment for spiritual growth for you and me. This is the environment that God has put in place for spiritual growth for us. And look, this is a lifetime process. This is a lifelong journey for us. We're never gonna get to the point where we're like, okay, I've arrived spiritually. No, God is constantly growing us and moving us and shaping us. And see, you know what else? I'm grateful for this. The church provides this personal and knowable and powerful support for believers. Believers. Folks, that's what's what, what's happening here. You know, I, I think about it just my own testimony. I'll just tell you my own story right now. So so many people have walked up to me. Several people have walked up to me and said, Chris, are you okay? You 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 just look a little burdened. I'm like, I am. This has been the most stressful time I've ever known in ministry. And and I wish I could sometimes I wish I could just hide it. But but I've been I've been worried. And I've gotten up early and said, Lord, what are we going to do? And God keeps reminding me, hey, man, you're not by yourself. Hey, it ain't your job to build the church. It's mine. And, hey, why don't you just let me show my power? And I'm like, okay, that's better anyway. That gives me peace. That gives me comfort. The fact that... I can be a pastor and be knowable and be a pastor that even struggles. And, and you know what? It's through that struggle that God shows his power. And let me tell you something, I don't want to miss walking with the Lord. The reality is what God is doing here is a supernatural work. And that, that's why we've got to be together. And, and, and I think about what God's doing and it's blown my mind that, that, that he's at work in spite of ourselves. And even when, when we don't see it, even when there's curveballs like, like a COVID reality, even when we have staff changes that, that I didn't see coming, look, God's at work. And I look at what God is doing right now and, and, it, and it just causes me to go, wow, Lord, you are at work building your kingdom. I mean, think about what God's done. I mean, Rob Lewis has gone to start Harbor of Grace Church in this city. God it has multiplied his work in this COVID season. You know what? It's crazy to me when, when several of our families, and they went to help. And, and I get a text this morning, Calvary's full today. Oh, my goodness. How does that happen? Well, God's at work. This is good. God is at work. Look at this whole thing at Calvary. Oh, my goodness, what an adventure that is. How People ask me, how's it going to work out? I don't know. But I think I know how it's going to work out. People are going to be saved. Lives are going to be changed. And now we're getting to do it in Spanish. That's incredible. That's, that's, that's Spanish right there. It's incredible. Stacy, that was good, wasn't it? Okay, there we go. Um, but look, God's at work. But then Jesus, you know what he does? Look at verse 20. He, he has this cataclysmic moment where he just uppercuts Satan and all the, all the demonic forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And he says, all right, boys. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Now, I was like, man, I wish I had stopped at verse 19. But how do, you, how do you reconcile verse 20? Well, it makes sense. You see, the world wasn't ready for that on a public scale in that moment. You see, the Jews, they had this recognition that the Messiah was coming and he was gonna be a deliverer. But see, the Jews, they, they thought, man, we need deliverance from Romans from Roman authority, from Roman rule, from Roman oppression, and Jesus is like, "Yeah, I don't want you to, I don't want you to confuse this thing, because there's a bigger enemy than the Romans." See, Jesus had the ability to look forward into the future and recognize, you know, Rome's actually going to fall someday, and uh, so the real enemy in the world is not Rome. The real enemy in the world is Satan, sin, and death. And he goes, so here's what I've come to do. I don't want you to tell the world about the church thing right now, but there'll be a time. But right now, I got an enemy to f- defeat. And, and I'm just coming to the gates of hell saying, hey, guess what? When I defeat you and crush your head like Genesis 3 says, uh, the church is gonna come along and yeah, it's gonna kick your ear too. And, and then Jesus Conquered the grave, rose from the dead, appeared to them. Acts 1.8 says, look, you're sent. Go to the world. So it wasn't the right time. But here's the point. As we, as we wrap up today, let's not miss what God's doing here. We are a convincing community. We are a gathering people. We are this people called to live sent. And you know what I'm praying today? I'm praying that you hear the Lord. Let me tell you something. It was right when those angels came and they, at the birth of Jesus, and announced unto you this day in the city of David, a Savior was born. He's Christ the Lord. That was right. It was right when the Holy Spirit at Jesus' baptism, as they, as they, as they went under the water, John the Baptist baptized and the, and the Spirit of God spoke, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. That was right. It was right. The moment that at, right after the resurrection, right after, me, right after the crucifixion, right after Jesus says, it is finished. And the rocks cried out, the rocks shook and said, whoa, this was God. And then three days later, he rose from the dead. Who do you say he is? Man, if he's, if he's not your Lord and your Savior, you're missing life. And I pray that today you come to Jesus who do you say he is? You know, we're going to have an invitation. And, and you know what? In this invitation, some of you, you might need to come to Jesus. Maybe for you, Jesus is just a good guy, a good teacher. No, 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 he's not. Don't follow the, the masses in the world that just seem as good. No, he's Lord. He's the king. So I invite you, come to Jesus today. That's why we're here. That's why our church is here. You know, in this invitation, though, here's what I'm going to ask. We need to get on our knees and pray for our church. It's been five months since we've gathered. Like, we've, like we need to gather So I'm gonna ask some of you to come and get on your knees and pray for our church. Join me on my knees praying for our church. Now some of you may not be able to come to the front. So kneel at your seat. But Joe's gonna sing this song about trusting in Jesus. Am I, how can you not? How can we not? Lord Jesus, would you move us? Right now, would your spirit speak to us? Would you lead us? Father, may we fulfill this call to be a convincing community, a gathering people. And may we live today sent by you. Our Lord, thank you. For starting the church. And may we be faithful during our time, our time. In Jesus' name, amen.